Welcome to yet another episode of the Get Informed Podcast with your host, you guessed it, me, Tom. And today we're going to be talking about something that many people often take for granted, voting. In this episode, we're going to talk about voting and the democratic process in American politics and why it's important to be informed on this issue. So let's take a deep dive into this. So today we're going to be with Mitch. Uh, I, I know him more often to me as, um, as Bond, Bond Legolas. He's from my World of Warcraft guild. So yeah, you know, nerds talk about politics all the time. So Mitch, tell me a little bit about how you got involved in voting and how you know so much about this topic. Yeah. So like a lot of people that end up in politics, I was going to college and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I relatively quickly realized that writing 30-page papers every day isn't my idea of fun. And one of my college friends at the time had just graduated and was running political outreach for a state senate race in California, where I'm from. Uh, so that's where I started just talking to voters on the ground. Um, the job's called a canvasser, and it's basically you go door to door, knock on them, talk to some voters about whatever the issues are, the candidate, and get to know them, really get the candidate's name out. After that, I ended up going through to a pack, uh, which we'll talk a little more in detail about later, but basically it was a way for me to continue to go door to door while making a living wage of about 20 an hour with uh, benefits and paid lunches. I did that for a couple more months. I ended up in Michigan working through the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee for the Michigan Democratic Party, where I helped a congressman win her first seat. That was a lot more fast paced where I was working closer to 80 to 100 hour weeks for a couple of months. After that, I kind of came back, looked around and thought what I wanted to do. I did some fundraising for some nonprofits and ended up most recently working as the deputy campaign manager for a local race here in Orange County, California that ended up being pretty large in scale but there I oversaw about 25 people doing outreach. Aside from that, I'm currently studying public administration for my master's, where I have a large emphasis on things like housing, uh, just because talking to a lot of voters has made me cognizant of kind of what the kitchen table issues are, and that's what I like to help solve. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like why I went into like social sciences and histories, because there's just so many problems. And we, and I feel like no one comes up with any solutions. But it's really nice to see that you were able to really diagnose this issue and find a slot for yourself to make a difference. Because when you look around, there's a lot of just talk about vote. People don't really know much about voting. They think, you know, I just go every four years and I cast a vote and that's it. But they don't really understand the um, the implications of what that vote means and even the history behind it in terms of how difficult it was for some people to achieve. Yeah, I mean, even now, right, you think of a presidential election every four years, you're lucky to get 60% voter turnout, which means 40% of eligible voters are just not going during the most popular time, uh, compared to midterms like we have every two off years, where turnout's closer to 40, Mislow is 35%. So there's definitely a lot of people that, for a bunch of reasons, don't end up voting. And I think that's really too bad and we should strive to do better. Absolutely. So what we'll do is we'll cover a little bit of a history of voting to give everybody listening kind of an understanding of just how far the idea of voting itself has just come, right? 
First thing that we have to talk about is this idea of the Electoral College, right? It's, it's noted within the Constitution just how many electors that a state has. And since 1964, it's been 538. And um, I do want to just mention the website 538 if you want to go track the presidential race right now and kind of pay attention to what the electoral votes are looking like, how many representatives each state has. Go check that website out. I know you sent that to me, Mitch, and it was really insightful, and I've showed a lot of people. Yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend 538. It tries to do as little punditry as possible, and it does aggregate polling. So what that means is they're weighing polls that people are doing all across the state and for specific states and coming up with the odds that the presidency will be one in each state, but they also have ways that you can track the Senate and individual uh, House races for the House of Reps. So you can go through and see right now Joe Biden has, I think, roughly an 84 percent chance of winning. Uh, it might be a little bit higher. The House of Representatives is about 94 percent to stay Democratic, which is really great odds if that's what you're aiming for. And the Senate is actually up to about 70 percent odds of being Democratic, up from about 25 percent a year ago. So you can see how things like COVID have really mobilized voters to vote in different ways. Exactly. So, yeah, we'll definitely get to that point and talking about like specifically how COVID affected this election, because not only is it a, you know, a very strange time to deal with a global pandemic where people are quarantined and not allowed to really participate in social events and these atmospheres outside, but it's also the most culturally impactful presidential election, I think, in the history of our country. So, but how did we get to this point? Because now we're, like you said, we're trying to get about a 60, 70% voter turnout rate, but not everyone always had the right to vote. And ultimately, you, you got to remember, the only people that were able to vote on during the inception of the country was white men over 21 who owned land. And it wasn't until at least 100 years later, a little bit under 100 years later, when the 14th Amendment was finally passed, it gave full citizenship rights, to, uh, which included voting rights, to all men born naturalized in the United States. So that was a really big turning point. But it didn't really mean for everyone because they need to pass to another amendment with the 15th that eliminated the racial barriers to voting. Yet there were still issues, right? So this is where like uh, uh, Jim Crow and poll taxes, literacy tests, uh, fraud and intimidation would go on to affect how people were able to vote. Just because you had the right to vote, now you had to actually go and exercise it. So there were organizations of people that would actually scare people away from polls that they didn't want them to vote because they don't want them to get their input in. So that's something that we probably even still see today. Yeah, I know the state of Michigan, uh, their newly Democratic governor as of 2018, just said about a week ago that you cannot open carry into polling locations, and that's caused a really big stir in a hunting state like Michigan. But right, you also have to think of this is the same state where a group of alt-right militiamen were charged with trying to kidnap and murder the governor. So you can see pretty heavy-handed that people are using the threat of violence for political means, right? They also stormed the Capitol uh, back in, I believe, March or April with a bunch of guns for political terrorism, protected under the First Amendment in this situation. So preempting that, since it's been something so common, we have governors that have to come out and say, you are not allowed to carry guns into polling locations because they're maliciously trying to stop people from voting. Yeah. So, right, it's the same 
the problems we had in 1870 are a lot of the same problems we have in 2020. Um, they've gotten better 100%, but they're still out there. Absolutely. And you actually just reminded me, I saw this Reddit post, uh, some individual posted um, basically saying, like, hey, I was a Trump supporter, but now I'm not. And I'm really scared. And what he was talking about was like his close friends and family. He lives in Delaware. And he's kind of like scared to tell them that they're not he's not voting for Trump anymore because he realized how it actually affected his friends and people he cared about that weren't, you know, white or, you know, just how they were treated. And he said that he was actually going to report his neighbor because his neighbor said that if Trump did not win the election, he was going to get his group of friends and go shoot up a predominantly black college in the area. And this is like real things that people are saying. And this is a result of you exercising your right. People are going to actually, people are actually taking action on these things. And it's just really scary based on just who you voted for. Yeah, and I think it's important to keep in mind that while these aren't new to U.S. history in any means at all, right, like I was saying, these were problems in 1870, just like they are in 2020, uh, we did have a decent period of about 30 to 40 years where this wasn't seen as acceptable. Um, over the last four years, we've kind of t put away our dog whistles and taken out our normal whistles for racisms. And I think that's a big effect on what's causing this kind of overt reactionary politics yeah oh for sure i i definitely agree and it's um it's not even like just a racial issue too right like when it comes to voting it wasn't until like uh, 1920 with the 19th amendment when women's suffrage was finally passed and then eventually 1924 the indian citizenship act after world war one where native americans were actually granted citizenship and voting rights based on their participation in the war i actually ended up writing i wrote my undergrad thesis on that specifically but um, it's just interesting to see, like, it's a trickle effect. 1964, Civil Rights Act, it now addresses discrimination to ensure all people above the age of 21 can vote. Poll taxes are eliminated. And then 1965, it removes literacy tests and federalizes voter registration. 1971, voting age becomes 18. 1975, translates voting material into different languages. And then 1984, with the uh, Accessibility for the Elderly and Handicapped Act, so that everyone has access to vote, which makes polling locations handicap accessible. So these are monumental movements. Like these are actually great movements forward, but despite this being a legal, um, you know, structure, it's still, there's, there's ways to get around it, which is the problem by letting states dictate their voting systems, regulations, and structures, right? Yeah, so there's definitely a problem with certain states making it difficult to vote. Um, just kind of going around between Virginia, Michigan, the South, and California, I've really quickly recognized that uh, kind of California is a place where it's exceptionally easy to vote. Uh, they have same-day registration. You can register online with a zero-day delay. There's lots you can do, and they try to make it easy to vote. On the flip side of that, uh, I have a friend that just moved to Georgia for their doctoral program, and they had a typo on their driver's license, and because of that, they will not be able to vote in Georgia's election, which has two senators up. So there's some pros to having a non-centralized system, which mostly go to security, uh, because it is quite literally impossible to hack a U.S. election. You can hack individual precincts but there's hundreds of thousands of precincts, so or at least tens of thousands. But those kind of defense reasons 
really get weighed down by how antiquated our system is. And there's just a lot of places like the South, especially Georgia, which has a recent history along with a deep history of voter suppression, where state governments and local governments are choosing to make voting more difficult because it's a way that a minority of people can continue to hold power. Exactly. We'll definitely get to an example with like Florida, because Florida is just the, you know, the cesspool of voting. Like you don't want to vote in that state. And I, my aunt actually, she texts me. She's very like um, anti-Trump. So she'll te- she actually retired down to Florida recently, and she always sends me updates on like the voting situation there, and like, um, you know, she'll send me all the information. So I, I'm well informed how how uh, terrible it is down there. But really quick, we should talk about this current election and how voting impacts the importance of it, because we know this is by far the most important election that we've probably seen is 100% in our lifetimes, but possibly the history of our country. So let's talk about a little bit of like how vote, how the idea of voting is being displayed by both sides, Trump's campaign and um, Biden's um, campaign as well. What are they each saying? And is it a good, is it good? Is it bad? And you know, what, what do you think? Yeah. So Uh, Let's start with Biden's campaign and his messaging, and Biden has really been messaging as a return to normalcy. Um, A big part of the Biden campaign is he's been saying that he is running as a proud Democrat, but he will not be a Democratic president. He'll be an American president that listens across the table. Um, I think Joe Biden has a decent record of showing willingness to work with good faith actors uh, from across the political spectrum. So that definitely is a message that resonates with people that have been both harmed by the Trump uh, administration, but also to a certain class of business folk and more upper class people that don't like the instability that the Trump administration has caused and the lack of guidance. On the flip side of that, you have the Trump campaign, which is largely running on a We made the economy super great as seen through the stock market, which uh, has some problems, but that is the messaging alongside talking about how Democrats are looking to push some really, really progressive policies, which uh, may be true for some people that don't make decisions in the Democratic Party. But make no mistake, Joe Biden is not a... uh, leading progressive. He is kind of a pragmatic moderate that's a firm Democrat, right? He's been on the side of minorities and unions his entire career. Um, His record shows that he listens to those people. Uh, Some of the results are not ideal, like the 94 crime bill, but that was still done in consultation with the Congressional Black Caucus at the time. But uh, so, yeah, it's really a campaign on the Trump side about we need more change and Trump believes he did a great job of making people's lives better over the last four years. Um, And then on the flip side of that, there's Biden, who really says, hey, we need to hit a reset button. Uh, I think 2015, the U.S. was in a much better place than it was in 2020 or even 2018. And we need to make sure that when you say you're from America, people stop snickering when you go to Europe or abroad. Yeah, I mean, you know, look at us. Like, we're in a... We're two Americans in a majority Canadian guild, right, for World of Warcraft, and we have an entire Discord uh, chat specifically tracking all the stupid shit Donald Trump says, which is, I think it's just absolutely hilarious that Canadians take such an interest in what's going on in our politics, right? 
So yeah, I mean, and right <laughs> in a way, our politics have a really just real effect on them too. Uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement was taken down because Trump wanted something with his name on it, and that's how we ended up with the USMCA, which it has some positives to it, but those positives are largely we want to value American business interest over just kind of people in North America and over having a positive relationship with our neighbors. So, I mean, you could think America should be first and we make everything in our interest. I have a little more holistic worldview where I think America is a very wealthy country. We should allocate our money a little differently. And maybe something like NAFTA was good just so that we had kind of good faith uh, conversations where maybe Mexico would be able to secure their northern border if we weren't such assholes to them. Yeah. It's, it's easy. It's, it's just called, you know, it's called foreign policy. Just, you know, you have to be friendly with everyone. And I mean, Donald Trump does seem to be friendly with uh, some of the, uh, the the world's most hated uh, leaders. So it, it's, I don't know, it's kind of, so you can see that as a positive thing or you can see it as a negative thing. But these are some things that people really see in his campaign when he advertises that people, this is what people vote for him for. Oh, look, he's, you know, he's, he's good friends with uh, Putin and, uh, you know, North Korea, you know, he keeps them in check. You know, he, he, he got, he got us out of Iran and, you know, he saved our troops and all these peace talks in the, um, you know, in Israel and all these things. So it, it's, it's a little deceptive. I would definitely say it's a little deceptive, a little lack of honesty on, in terms of, you know, the way that they're campaigning. And I mean, we talked before previously about like how Biden and his campaign there, there's a little bit of a dishonesty in what they're saying, just because like we were talking about the statistics, it's just really showing that Biden has a really, really high chance of winning this election, but all of his advertising kind of says otherwise. And people are actually a little on edge about this. So keeping that anxiety in the back of people, people's head, it's going to be a little bit of a reinforcement to get them out to get that vote, right? Yeah. So I think it's also important to keep in mind that Biden's emails are not sent to undecided voters. They're sent to Biden supporters. So a lot of the times when you see emails from the Biden campaigns or you're being personally contacted by them, those are actually fundraising outreach, um, right? They need to make sure they get $20 here and there from as many people as possible to fund very expensive campaigns. And no one wants to donate to someone with a 95% chance of winning. Um, that it just doesn't sound very exciting. Um, but if they went and told you the last two polls in Florida had us within the margin of error, suddenly you realize that, oh, maybe Florida is up in the air and I should help Biden win Florida. So I will give $15, $20, $5. At the same time, Biden does have overwhelming odds to win this election. It is very unlikely at this point that all of the polls are wrong with a much larger margin than they were in 2016, right, which also had that October surprise of James Comey, mm -hmm. which we have yet to see a kind of October surprise that sticks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did, did, you so, see, did you see Donald Trump? He, uh, he actually made Mar-a-Lago his uh, residency address, and he voted in Florida? Yeah, and it's one of those things that you can't do and you shouldn't do, but who's going to stop him? And that's a big part of kind of the Trump administration's and my own Trump as a person is I think of almost uh, a stereotypical Karen at the store saying, <laughs> I need this. And they're like, well, ma'am, it's against our policy. And it's like, well, I don't care what the policy is. I need it. And then they just 
get their way because it's easier for a lot of people to bend a little bit and kind of concede that we can get you this because whatever it's easier than fighting constantly but uh because of that we've given up a lot of norms in u.s politics that i think were important just to go back i was saying that we changed our dog whistles for normal whistles for racism while dog whistling is bad i would be a lot happier without it it's meaningful that people weren't openly racist. Yes. I think there is a meaningful difference between people saying we need to keep the suburbs clean and Mexicans are rapist. I think those are two both negative ideas, but one of those is clearly worse. And we've eroded a lot of that. Um, but yeah, a lot of the Biden campaign, to, just to touch back on getting people out to vote, uh, they've been pushing towards undecided voters, that Biden is the voice of reason in the room and kind of his generic pitch that he talked a lot about in the debates where he's going to govern as an American president instead of a Democratic president. But to Biden supporters, he has been talking about how close the race is and kind of cherry picking almost misleading polls to show a much closer race so that people get more involved. On the Trump side, no one wants to talk Right. Everyone likes a good underdog story, but no one likes a 5% to win underdog. They like the 40% to win underdog. So it's been a pretty big attack about all of these polls are wrong. They were wrong in 2016, which is pretty debatable. Uh, the polls are within the margin of error in 2016. But that's the general idea that we took from that. So it's been a lot of everyone in the media is wrong and they're all out to get me and we're going to beat them again versus we need to sit back and stop being laughed at by the country and from the international community. Yeah. And you know, it's actually funny that um, one, one other thing that Trump's administration and his campaign kind of is really fueling on is talking about this idea of um, voter fraud, like, Oh, fraud, this fraud, that fraud, that. And funny enough in, uh, in two thousand, like after the, uh, the 2016 election, he, he claimed there was millions of illegal votes by illegal immigrants and, you know, illegal aliens and all this stuff. And he actually filed a commission in 2017, led by Kobach to kind of investigate it. And eight months later, it was decommissioned because there was no credible evidence. Yeah, I I think it was honestly too bad that they took the commission down at the time. Because if you fast forward to 2018, 2019, you see Republican operatives in North Carolina during a special election maliciously opening ballots and throwing out Democratic ballots. So there is a very small amount of voter fraud. Uh, I have yet to see any on the side of Democrats. Um, I brought up North Carolina's 9th district where that happened in 2019. Right now in California, uh, the Republican Party of California has illegally placed uh, ballot drop boxes that say official ballot collector. And they have been sued by the state government because they are not official and it is illegal to say that they are. And they oh, told the wow. state government, we don't care. You can't make us take them down. We're not telling you where they are. Um, so there is some amount of voter fraud that is happening, but it is not the individual level voter fraud. That is just, it has not been found anywhere in large studies. Uh, these are two examples, even talking about the California Republican party, there has been no voter fraud linked to that. They are just illegal holding boxes. Um, but yeah, it's really too bad that one party has continually shown that they would like to make voting more difficult. Well, because I think they're a little scared. 
Yeah, uh, especially this was uh, in California, the Democratic Party has a supermajority in the legislature and complete control at the state level. Um, what that means is not only do we have a majority in both state uh, legislative bodies, but we have a supermajority that can override any veto. So Republicans just do not have any actual power. Uh, they do have a couple of seats that they get to make powerful statements for and control in a handful of state or, uh, sorry, county uh, bodies. Uh, Orange County is one of those few where in 2018, Orange County, California voted for a full slate of Democratic candidates for Congress. But at the local level, all of those representatives are still Republican and they're holding on desperately to those seats. Uh, doesn't look great for them just because uh, they're kind of racist yeah, and it's a progressive... Orange County is less and less white. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting though to see like the reflection of like the party. Like I've never been a fan of the American political party system. I'm, I think there's other options. Uh, you know, obviously like you know in Germany and most of the EU in the European Union, they they typically have multiple parties, four, five, six, seven parties that have representative of um, v much vaster uh, ideologies for politics and stuff. And in America, it's just so streamlined to two things where like Democrats have really embraced this idea of prog of progression. And I feel like just Republicans are just maintaining this, this old view of, you know, conservatism where it's, it's actually just embedded with racism, sexism, and all these other negative social and cultural traits that we don't want to take with us into the future. So the party itself is just collapsing, but it was really shocking to see Trump actually be able to win the election in 2016 because what it shows is that those ideas are not dead. Yeah, uh, I always like people to be careful when they equate the entire Republican Party with oh, of course. I don't racism mean to and sexism. Yeah. No, uh, right. I think of um, my roommate's brother-in-law is a Republican operative somewhere in California, and he is a Jewish Republican, which is pretty rare. Most uh, Jewish people are Democratic. And he's married to a Hispanic wife from Mexico. And this man is not racist. I, he just is not. And yeah, definitely. they just have a some Republicans, especially when you get into um, more academic Republicans, mm -hmm. really just want what's best for people. And I think it's important that we find people acting in good faith on both sides. Uh, with the Trump administration, I think the Trump administration, along with some actors like Mitch McConnell and Ted Cruz, do not act in good faith. But there are Republicans out there that think the best way to lower poverty is to mandate work requirements. And there's studies that show that, but those are cold-hearted, in my opinion. But I mean, right, these are still people that want the best. There are people that are saying, we want to make you work for healthcare because people that go to work are shown to be happier. Not, we want to make you work for healthcare and then stop you from getting a job so that you can't do anything and my healthcare is cheaper. Oh yeah, definitely. And I'll definitely, I'll back up and definitely just say like, I did not mean an overgeneralization. More so what I meant is like this, like um, this idea that the Republican party of like holding these ideas of, of conservatism, what it's doing is it's just reinforcing the ideas, especially of like the voter population specifically. I, you know, I typically find like, people who claim they are Republicans or they vote Republican, 
I see a lot of the things they post, you know, within my own community and online. And it's very, very questionable stuff where, you know, if I was not a white man, I would probably be very, very offended by the things they were posting. And it's like you were saying, it's this dog whistle that became a blatant whistle. And that's, I think, ultimately the scary thing, because people don't realize racism, sexism, um, you know, all these different ideas that we don't agree with, they find, they're very chameleon-like. They, you don't really know they're there, but they're actually functioning in the background, right? I wrote my master's thesis on um, gender in video games and talked about how the idea and, and the perception of gender shaped how the gaming community developed in, from, from 1970 to like 2000. And there's a lot of overwhelming evidence to show that, but people don't think that or pay attention to those details. And that's the scary thing about these politics currently, the modern Republican political like ideology for in my historical opinion I may be wrong but that's just like my analysis kind of thing you know yeah no and there's a lot of merit to that and especially the kind of culture wars we see uh, just to kind of tie things back into voting though talking about different types of outreach uh, I know you wanted to talk about packs and specifically super packs yes yeah, so what uh, are those things let us know please <laughs> they're yeah. so confusing <laughs> so. Uh, I want to start with PACs and Super PACs are both kind of vague uh, organizations that are made for political outreach uh, on both sides of the aisle. They are largely the result of the Supreme Court case Citizens United, which uh, people may know of. And just to give some background, uh, for political races, there's actually a giving cap um, that changes year to year. But right now, I believe at the congressional level, an individual can give one candidate $4,800. Uh, they can do that for all 538 candidates if they felt so inclined, or sorry, 535. Um, but there's no real reason to give Nancy Pelosi $5,000 because she doesn't need to win re-election. She is going to do that regardless. Uh, super PACs are a way that you can go into places like right outside Detroit, or let's look at uh, Florida as an example. Uh, Florida, as you were talking about, is always a very close state, uh, right? The 2000 election was famously decided by a court case deciding if a couple thousand votes were cast. Um, and if I want the Democratic, let's say I want Joe Biden to win Florida, I can only give Joe Biden $4,800. Let's say me and my union get together. Uh, let's say I'm part of the United Auto Workers Union. And I really enjoyed that Joe Biden did a lot of work during the financial crisis in 2009-ish and revived the auto industry. And as a union, we decide we want to give Joe Biden $250,000. And we want those $250,000 to go to Florida because we think that's the best place to go. There is no legal way for us to give Joe Biden $250,000. Uh, because of Citizens United, we are able to make an organization that is not tax exempt, uh, that allows us to spend money on political outreach in Florida for Joe Biden as long as we never talk to Joe Biden about it which is just kind of this weird system where when you think of PACs and uh, super PACs in particular, which have no spending limit, uh, are also kind of known as dark PACs or political dark money. And there's no real way to trace where that money comes from. 
Um, I know there was a county board of supervisors race here in Orange County. Uh, the candidate got into the race late, and some local wealthy Democrats just put a hundred thousand dollars in a slush fund, and that slush fund bought a bunch of mailers for her. Uh, on the flip side of that, uh, Republican organizations like uh, the Koch brothers put aside tens of millions of dollars to hire people that go door to door, and maybe they won't say vote for Donald Trump, but they'll say, you should vote for the candidate that cuts your taxes the most. Donald Trump cut these taxes, and in 1982, Joe Biden said we should have a stay on Social Security uh, raises to even out the budget, and use that knowledge to vote for who you want. And then they go through voter database and target Republican-leaning people that don't always vote Republican. Um, so it's a way to spend millions and millions of dollars on politics, which was previously very difficult to do before Citizens United. Wow. That's actually insane. I, I actually had no idea it functioned that way. And it's, I mean, it's not, a, it's not even astounding to me that people found a way to make this type of system work, you know, especially when it comes to insurmountable amounts of money, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's important to keep in mind that prior to Citizens United, which was, I believe, a 2011 or 12 Supreme Court case, you could not do this. Uh, it was against the law to spend money in this kind of unlimited way on political campaigns. Um, it was based on the idea that no one person should have a outsized voice in the political process. Uh, while $5,000 is a lot of money, um, here in Orange County, California, the median income is $100,000. Um, the median income across the country is about 55000 For people that want to make politics their largest priority, I would say probably a third of Americans can find $5,000 a year. Now, I'm not suggesting anyone spend $5,000 <laughs> a year because they saved every penny and dime for this politician. It's honestly more effective if you just go call voters or knock on doors. But it was the idea that here's this limit that is not a thousand percent out of reach for every single American. Uh, it does price out a lot of poorer Americans, though. And that was taken down from our conservative Supreme Court, which has gotten more conservative lately. But it didn't used to be this way. And I talked about the Koch brothers. I did want to give a shout out to um, some Democratic ones as well. There's a company called Progressive Turnout Project that really got my start working full time in politics. I was able to do that because they paid me $20 an hour with full benefits to talk to voters. And they were able to do that because the money was uncapped. Um, if the money was not uncapped, you're looking at minimum wage to talk to voters instead of a living wage. And there's pros and cons to that, but I think in general, we don't want large outsized voices in politics from overspending. Definitely. I mean, we definitely want to hear more so like the voice. I mean, I wish I wish the general public was a little bit more informed on these issues, right? But this is like what we're doing. We're doing this work to try and get that information out there. But, you know, that's why this spending happens, because they know that people are either misinformed or they're just unable to, you know, just comprehend the actual severity of 
voting and like what your vote actually matters. So um, with that being said, and talking about the PACs and understanding really what they do, we can talk about the Florida example and like what was going on there and how a PAC influenced that entire process in Florida. Yeah. So we were talking about before we started recording, Florida in 2018 passed a ballot measure um, that allows felons to vote. Um, If that ballot measure was passed prior to the 2018 election, they would have a Democratic governor instead of a Republican governor. That's kind of besides the point, but it's an interesting thing to keep in mind. But after they passed this law that allows felons to vote, the now Republican government made it so they would have to pay back all of their back fines uh, without any help. So, right, these are people that maybe they served some time in jail, and during that time they could not work. Before that, they were already indigent without very much money, and they owe ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. While under the new system, they can technically vote, they have to pay off $15,000. If I told you that, right, someone making seven twenty-five an hour had to give me $15,000 for the ability to vote, as much as I value voting, I would say it's not worth that to me. Uh, $15,000 when you're struggling to get by is an enormous sum of money. And as much as civic duty is important, uh, survival is right up there. So this wasn't through a PAC itself, but it's a very PAC-like action. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, uh, who people may know from his presidential run this past primary, but uh, in general has donated lots and lots of money to Democrats for decades. Um, We're talking almost a billion dollars every cycle, which is two years for the last 10 years, paid off everyone's fines in Florida. So this one man gave $1.5 million to pay off felons' fines so that they have the ability to vote. You can look at that in two ways. There is the kind of cynical version that Michael Bloomberg is buying votes. These people could not vote. They now can vote because of him. I think there's some merit to that. I think I would feel obligated to help the person that made it possible for you to vote elect the candidate that he likes, much in the same way that Abraham Lincoln and the was kind of and the Republican Party at the time got slaves the right to vote, and they voted reliably Republican for decades because there's a sense of, I could not do this without you. On the flip side of that, Michael Bloomberg just made tens of thousands of people be able to vote, which is a great thing. And he kind of went over the head of this voter suppression tactic by being able to spend over a million dollars as an individual. So money in this case is kind of fighting this corrupt system, but you can see the people that want to limit voting be even more cynical because it is all done from one political side that they are helping people vote from. Exactly. And it's like you, like you said, you could view it cynically or, you know, you can view it with merit and, you know, either, or at the end of the day, these, these people who were granted their right to vote, they entered back, they did their time, they served, and now they are entering back and they have their, they should be getting their rights back. And once again, just another state with another restriction and another way to suppress votes, but that was blocked. So I'm going to take that personally as an uh, act of merit because these people, you know, people deserve the right. So if you are a contributing person to our society, you should be able to, well, I remember you said you had a different view on this, right? Uh. No, I mean, I fully agree that as many people that want to vote should be able to vote. I know we just passed a law, 
or rather there's a ballot measure coming up in two weeks uh, in California so that if you're 17, but you will be 18 by the primary or sorry, you'll be 18 by the general election of that year, you can vote in the primary. That's and cool. I think, yeah, and right, it's one of those things where us talking about California makes voting easier. We want to make voting as easy as possible. Um, there's a handful of states that are moving towards a system of automatic voter registration. When you go in to get your driver's license your first time at 15, 16, 18, you have to opt out of being registered to vote. And I yeah. think that's a really important step. It's, you know, it's actually funny you say that. So in terms of uh, voter participation globally, the United States ranks at 26. That's like, that's, I think that's pretty, that's pretty low on the, on the chart because a couple of statistics for uh, a couple of just bits of information, most of the leading countries make voter registration automatic. Most of the ones before us, I mean. So anywhere between the first ranked and the 25th ranked, a majority of them are just automatic regulations. Uh, and then also it's required as a civic duty, just like jury duty is. So it's something that you are required to do as a citizen, which I think makes sense. And uh, American statistics show that a majority of voters here are typically more white, more wealthy, and older. And it's obviously not a coincidence. Like these are just some of the statistics of voting in America. So that's what the um, the idea of voter suppression and all of the all the fraud uh, claims, there's a lot of problems with voting. And that statistic is just evidence to what we've been talking about. And suppression in Florida is just one of the kind of like big issues at hand when there's obviously much more, right? Um, I know, for example, they what they do is they pass um they restrict where you can go. And you have to remember that obviously people who are economically disenfranchised, they typically have a hard time getting access for transportation. They may not have a vehicle. They may not have access to a transit system. So how are they going to get their vote to the polling? How are they going to get to the polling location? And then when they do, they have to wait some odd, what, eight to 10 hours sometimes? Have you had any experiences of that? Uh, I've been lucky enough to where the places I have worked have all been affluent areas where voting has been encouraged. Uh, even when I was working in Republican areas, they were previously strong Republican areas where they loved to get their votes collected, and uh, they kind of rebelled against that while I was there and voted Democrat. But um, there is definitely an amount of, like you're saying, people in Texas having one polling station per county, and then you look and you realize the county's 100 miles yep. across— and it's rural, so there isn't a train or a bus station that can get them to the polling location. Even worse than that, I know people always talk about voter ID. And why is it bad that we're requiring people to have a government ID to vote? And I want to bring up, um, I want to make sure I get the state right. I want to say it was Georgia with Stacey Abrams. Uh, she was running and they required voter IDs. And on the surface of that, it makes sense that if you're someone participating in a civic duty, you should have some way to show that it is you going to this location. And then you look at what the voter IDs needed to be, and you could not have a PO box as your address. So immediately that rules out homeless populations. A larger issue, because there's a lot more Native Americans that are homeless, was the Native American population in the state Stacey Abrams was running 
used PO boxes for their government ID because the government did the state government did not accept uh, tribal land addresses. Wow. So that means that every single Native American that lived on a reservation could not vote. That's insane. Uh, that law was thrown out, but it took weeks in the courts to happen. And that's something that you hear about in the news. And then who goes and corrects them? And even when these voter suppression laws like this are thrown out, they do the damage by causing now misinformation. Um, you also look at places like Texas, which require voter ID. Uh, a driver's license is acceptable. A government ID card is acceptable. A gun registration card is acceptable government ID. A student ID card from a state university is not. And right, you can see that when they're discouraging students from voting and they're encouraging gun owners to vote, they are effectively limiting one party more than the other. And they choose these things on purpose. And that's why we really need to fight against things like voter ID laws, because while they seem common sense, there's a long history of oppression behind those. And they're continuing to do those through allowing certain IDs and privileging other IDs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just the idea of voter suppression. I'm, it's definitely, if you know the history of America, you should obviously think in your head immediately, like, this is nothing new to me. Like, this obviously makes sense, right? But in a, in a different light now with COVID, it's a very specific situation that we're facing, and there's a lot of controversy behind it. Originally, over the summer, I remember both campaigns were let every you know Biden would say you know let's get you know let's let's mail let's do mandatory uh, vote by mail let everyone vote you know so that they mail it in it's done boom and then Trump's like oh no that's bullshit you know you know they want we want to show show up strong at the polls and his followers are just very uh, for it too you know so now COVID itself is essentially some uh, a form of you know barrier for voting now so like what are we going to be kind of doing with that i know me and my sister we for our household we live in an apartment in um new jersey we got our vote by mail we filled it out and i'm gonna actually go drop it off tomorrow at um like one of the towns over at their their uh, polling location so i'm gonna mm -hmm. kind of get it in and kind of be done with it i was contemplating maybe doing it on the day of but Honestly, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be busy. I don't know if there's going to be any air, you know, we don't know any, because like what, everything's up in the air essentially. So what do you think? I know you have a lot of experience with handling voting situations, so. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to point out that there are already a very large number of states that have what we call no excuse absentee voting. What that means is you can say, I want to vote absentee or by mail. And they go, okay. And they don't ask any questions and they don't care. And they give you a ballot that you can send in to the mail. Um, there's also a handful of states like Hawaii and Colorado, which uh, Oregon is another large one that's been doing it longer, which are all by mail. So there are not polling locations in these states. Uh, you get your ballot in the mail and you return it in the mail. And that is how it works. Um, there's, again, to use California, which I'm more familiar with, uh, California has every registered voter gets a mail-in ballot. And if you do not want to use your mail-in ballot, you are able to go to a voting polling booth uh, up to a month before the election. So right now, there are a couple of dozen of vote centers that I can go to and vote in LA and Orange County. 
uh, where they will look up who you are and then you fill out some paperwork saying that's who you are and they print you a ballot for your municipality. I can go to any place in the county outside of my city, outside of my congressional district and they will find where I need to go. So if I work 30 miles from where I live, which is in a different congressional district, I can vote on my lunch break at work and still make it back in time. Uh, I think we really need to start moving towards systems like that where it's as easy as possible. As far as COVID and mail-in voting, uh, I tend to use two major think tanks when I do my research. Uh, one is called the Brookings Institute, which is a center-left think tank, and the other one is the American Enterprise Institute, or AEI, which is a center-right think tank. Neither of them found any record of voter fraud with mail-in voting. Uh, people that are telling you there's voter fraud with mail-in voting are lying to you. There are votes that are thrown out because people do not fill out their ballots correctly, um, and one of the largest reasons is actually because people do not pay their postage. Um, yep. Not paying your postage is, I think, the fact that they're charging for postage really makes you wonder what stopping a poll tax is. Um, again, right, we start to think, well, how hard can it possibly be to just get some postage stamps? And then we have to remind ourselves that these are people that maybe they live in Texas and they are disabled and they have the right to an absentee vote so that they don't need to take the bus to go vote. Um, but they can't get to the post office either. Exactly. And suddenly there's another barrier. Uh, California and a handful of other states pay the postage. So New Jersey, too. I'm actually looking at my ballots right now, and I was just, it says no postage necessary, mailed within the United States. So that's, you know, it's a convenient thing, but that's actually a really good point, right? Stamps, like some, especially if you're young, if you're 18, 20, you know, like, honestly, how many times in my life have I bought a stamp? I, I could probably like, count on both my hands, <laughs> to be honest. But um, uh, yeah, it's just stamps are an issue. Also, a lot of people don't read the fine print. When I was, I had, to, I will kid you not, it took me like a half, I just wanted to make sure I didn't mess up a single thing. I read it top to bottom. I made sure that I signed in the right places. And which is another big issue. If you, if you exempt one signature in a specific spot, it's not counted. Yeah. And again, who were we really protecting by having you sign four times instead of once? And it goes into, is this designed to be safe or is this designed as a system to throw out votes? Exactly. Um, in California, uh, my partner, who is a very bright woman, uh, we're both in our late 20s, and she didn't know filling out her ballot that it has to match your driver's license signature in California. If you sign and it does not look like your driver's license signature, they will throw it out because that's your government signature. And that is not listed anywhere. It just says sign here. That's and crazy. right, I have a little more institutional knowledge, so I knew this, but there's lots of people, right? I got my driver's license when I was 16. That's 10 years ago. <laughs> I don't sign my name the same way, right? I have changed a lot, including how I write and do things. So we really want to limit those types of things as much as possible. So just again, as far as COVID goes, we want people to be voting by mail as much as possible. We're up to tens of millions of absentee votes already across the country, which is a great thing to see. But we want to lower those barriers, right? Um, Postage isn't always about the money. It's about accessibility and the institutional knowledge. Um, 
right? I know people in their late 20s that bought postage for their first time this year because they lived with their parents through college and when they moved out, they had no reason to send a letter. Uh, so just again, to reiterate, we want to make vote by mail as easy as possible and we wanna make sure that things like voter ID laws are looked at with a historical perspective instead of just thinking what's common sense and then pushing those. Exactly, and I think I think like we uh, like you actually informed when I told you about AOC when she did the uh, the the Twitch stream to influence the voting uh, numbers, and you told me that it was apparently one of the most you know most watched streams on Twitch ever, and I found that to be like astonishing, right? Like because you know if you have a you have a congresswoman who is playing Among Us, you know a currently very popular game to promote voting in specifically the younger the younger age groups, which. It's funny because uh, most younger people are very outspoken about these issues, yet they don't turn up at the polls, which is very odd. So hopefully that was a really good way to get vote, um, get young voters involved. Because I was actually just thinking, you know, this podcast is called Get Informed, right? Like we're providing people with the information, but you may be informed, but now you need to actually get involved with that information that you have now. So hopefully the next, hopefully the next couple elections that we have, we'll see much larger voter turnout. Yeah, and uh, talking about getting involved, I recommend to everyone to find a candidate that they would love to support. Uh, it can be anywhere in the country. Uh, local is always better, in my opinion. And contact their campaign and say, hey, can I make phone calls for you for an hour or two? And just try that, because it'll really give you a lot of perspective on how the democratic process works. Uh, Justice Breyer on the Supreme Court has a book called Act of Liberty. And it's something that's really stuck with me that it's this concept that voting is the start of democracy, not the finish line. And you want to make sure you show up and vote and you wanna vote for candidates that represent your interest, but then you need to be active. You need to make sure that you're lobbying these people, you're getting their attention, talking to them about issues you care about, and that you're also talking to people in your community and spreading awareness about those issues. Um, people always talk about how politicians are out of reach and there's no way to contact them. I just know that that is not the case. The vast majority of politicians can be met at local political party club meetings. Uh, I have met every single person on my ballot except for Joe Biden. I've met Kamala Harris. I've met my members of Congress. I've met my state senators. I've had conversations with all of them except for Kamala, and I have not spent a dime of my money doing this. Um, if you show up and you do a little bit of volunteer work, you really get to know who these candidates are, and then you get to be that voice that instead of voting or instead of merely voting correctly, you're able to vote and really tell people that hey, uh, the congressman, let's go Alan Lowenthal is the congressman from Long Beach. Uh, he, by all means, is a congressman that does some great work when it comes to international trade because he's in a port city, but he is honestly the sweetest man I have met in my life, and there is not a bone in his body that he would not go through to help someone. And he gets phone calls, and if an angry conservative constituent calls him, he will personally take the phone and talk to this man, and you would not know that unless you took the time to call your representatives. So I think you people really should be more active, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's, I think it's, there's this fear historically where people just feel so disenfranchised and people are just so weighed down and in this like perception of this like very oppressive like government where my, they, people just don't feel like they're listened to. And obviously not only do people not feel listened to, but there is actually groups of people within our country who actually aren't listened to and listened to and they're ignored and people just feel this way and that's that's why their perception of the government and um, our democratic process is so pessimistic so it's really informative that you're able to actually tell people what it's like from your perspective you were in the field you spoke to the people you you actually did the work right and I know for people, it seems complicated. I always, one thing I always told myself when I was young, I always had this idea I wanted to be a politician. And I was just like, Tom, that's stupid. Like you have to be rich and corrupt to do that. And I really believed that dude, a majority of my life until very recently where the current council elections in my town, I know like, you know, compared to like Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, it's almost insignificant, but it's really not. Because what these, what the council we have is doing is, a lot of negative for our town, but the voters don't realize it because what they do is they spend money on getting people free pizza and they're distracting them and they don't really pay attention to the city the city hall meetings that have been canceled um, and all this other BS that's been going on around them. And it's and these people are like literally our neighbors. I called everyone on one of the tickets because I'm I know some of them and I I sat down with them for hours talking. Like, what's actually going on in town? Can you tell me why you're running again? And they spoke to me. And I talked to them and they're like, you know, Tom, you're really, you know, th- you know, thanks for reaching out. You know, I, you know, I hope we have your support, but, you know, going forward, you know, hopefully like you can, you know, become someone that can step into like our shoes and help out the town. Cause we need more people that are speaking out like you. And I'm considering running for like board of education next year. So, because I think the students and people in my town are suffering because they don't know what they're voting for. And it's really a bother to me. So I learned a lot from you talking about this. And my hope is that, all the listeners also learn just as much as I did because I've never spoken to anyone who knows this much about voting in my life. Yeah. And I mean, right. I've done a lot of paid work with campaigns. If you reach out to a campaign, uh, I challenge anyone that listens to this before the election, reach out to your local member of Congress or better reach out to your local democratic or Republican uh, club that you can find normally through Google and ask, who can I do outreach for and spend two hours trying to talk to voters? And honestly, that's the only lobbying I've ever seen successful uh, in my life was a member of the Sierra Club worked 80-hour weeks for a member of Congress for free to help get her elected because she believed in the things that the Sierra Club believed in. And she was thankful for it. And I, it was almost insane to me to see, but he said, you know, the Sierra Club really appreciates that you're elected. I hope you remember all the work that we did for you. And she said, of course, I'll remember. I look forward to seeing y'all in D.C. And that sounds really corrupt, but at the ground level, this person sacrificed hundreds of hours of their lives for a cause that they believed in for the chance that someone would be elected. And why would she not value that? And really just take the time. Talk to your local representatives. It's going to be hard at this point of the year, but come January, it'll be a lot easier. Uh, and try to do some outreach before the election. Maybe make some phone calls for Joe Biden. I'd recommend picking a senator 
instead. Uh, Joe Biden has lots of money. There's state senators in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina that can all use help. And they don't care what state you're from, right? Uh, no. There, I mean, it's always better if you're someone local, but a campaign work largely now is metrics at the top level. You have so many attempts, so many contacts, so many people that you have actually talked to that there's still weight to be said that if you call and say, hi, I'm Thomas from New Jersey. I'm calling on behalf of this Democrat running for Senate in Arizona because I looked at her resume, and not only do I think she's the perfect fit in this race, but further than that, I'm calling specifically because I think a Democratic Senate is the way that we can get Medicare for all. And I mean, just tell your personal story, but I recommend everyone to at least once reach out to a campaign and try to do contact for them. That's actually really cool. You know, I mean, I, w I wish it wasn't so late in the election cycle. I've been busy with like so much stuff, like with like finishing my master's degree and like planning the podcast that I'm like, I have this like political fervor, at least, especially going into next year, because I'm so disgusted with what's going on in my local politics. And I really want nothing more than for the students in my, in my town to actually receive the education they deserve for the teachers to be treated the way they deserve. And there's so many issues that we have that people think they just are incapable of fixing. But like you said, democracy starts with the vote. That's what democracy is. Exactly. So, right, we want people to get out there and voting, and then we want people to get engaged after voting and continue to follow up. It's one thing to elect Democrats, and I hope we elect Joe Biden on November 3rd. Um, that being said, once Joe Biden's elected, I hope we continue to push the executive branch to do the right thing. And I hope we don't end up going into places like Iraq or going into South America. I hope we focus on restoring international relations and having this return to normalcy that Biden's campaigning on. I think, right, these next four years are a fantastic opportunity to push for energy reform in the United States, right? That doesn't happen unless we continue to push, because there's senators like Joe Manchin of West Virginia who don't like voting Democratic, even though they have a D next to their name, and we need to push people like him to vote with us so that we can get this reform done. Yeah, we have to prep. Like you said, call, call the offices. Call, just call your local senator. Just leave a voicemail. Um, start a petition. Just get your voice. Add it to the list of other people who are also making their voice listened to, heard, read, seen. And together, we should be able to bring a huge influence. I remember, I think it was between a conversation you and I had where politics doesn't work from the top bottom. Uh, top down, I'm sorry, because, you know, they're not going to sit there and be like, hmm, what do all the people need? And then just give us magically what we need. We need to group together and voice our concerns and say, hey, you know, these, you know, this is a huge problem. We need to be, we're being heard. We're voicing our concern. Do something about it. It's going to be, it's a, it should work from the bottom up. We voice our opinions. We voice our concerns. We voice our vote, who we want to represent us. And then they eventually will bring that change that we need, that we desire, that we are voicing for, right? Essentially. Exactly. Uh, just as a last anecdote, in Orange County, which has traditionally been very conservative, uh, in 2018, we elected a congressman named Gil Cisnero. 
Uh, it's a seat that Donald, or an area that Donald Trump won previously. Uh, he's up for a hard election right now. He may lose this election. But constituents called and let him know that what Donald Trump is doing is unacceptable. And he thought that his constituents did not want him to speak out. When he got those phone calls, he decided, you know, I have my moral stance and it aligns with my, my constituents want. And he was one of, I believe, six veterans that signed a very scathing letter of Donald Trump that made national news for several weeks and really pushed this drive and ended up with us impeaching the president. Uh, and that was because people called. If people did not make those phone calls, he would not have taken that electoral risk. Wow. That's insane. It's the pressure. It's, it, it really is something, guys. Your vote matters, right? If, if there's, Bond, one last message or if there's one thing that you want to say before we're wrapping it up here, what is the one thing you want listeners, potential voters, American citizens, everyone to hear? Yeah, uh, so I'm going to ignore what you said, and I'm going to talk about two different things. Damn it. <laughs> uh, the first is vote like you're marginalized. Uh, cast that vote thinking, what if I'm the immigrant that is looking for asylum in the U.S. and I want to save my children? Cast that vote like you are that elderly woman that's still inside of a uh, hospice home and people around here are dropping like fries from COVID because of the lack of federal direction. And then the second part of what I want to say is vote like you're the deciding vote. Um, just to be super frank, right? Even in small elections, you have 10, 15,000 votes. One vote in that probably won't make the difference, but it could. And you need to vote as if you are the deciding vote. Uh, there was enough people in 2016 that if they did not vote for the Green Party, we would have Hillary Clinton as president, and we'd probably have 150,000 people that died from COVID that would still be alive today. We would probably not legitimize dictators across the world. And that's because some people voted like their vote didn't matter. They voted third party, not recognizing that our system does not reward third-party votes. It's essentially throwing out your ballot to protest. Vote like you're the deciding vote and vote like you're that marginalized person. And I think you're going to vote for the right person. Definitely. I, I, that's how I, that's how I've definitely been seeing things. And I, it's, it's a little bit of this uh, lack of selfishness, right? Like we need, one thing I want people to understand is that there's more to the issue than what we're affected by. And I think that within the past four years, with like the Char like Charlottesville and all the riots and and the racial contention and there's all these terrible things that we've been seeing nonstop in the news every week every month for the past four years, I think that speaks for itself what direction America is currently going in, and what direction we need to steer it into. And I hope that Bond, your absolute like font of information was enough for people to realize just how important your individual vote is and that you matter, your vote matters, your voice matters, and you need to make it heard. So with that, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you, Bond, so, so much for joining us. Yeah, it was nice to chat. If there's anything uh, else you want to say or? No, I think we're all good. Beautiful. So then, awesome. So we'll just go from there. All right. Bye.
Once again, thank you all for listening to our discussion here today. And if you like what you hear, please feel free to show some support for the podcast. Um, you can pretty much follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Get Informed Podcast. Twitter, I know, is Get Informed PC. And until next time, get out there and go vote. Take care, guys. Thank you.